have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Wow. Holy crap. Wow. I'm not even going to start this show off the normal way because today is a big deal for me and I'm still trying to process this through my mind as I hit record here, but we're in season two. We're already halfway through the year since I started this podcast and I'm trying to process that we're now in season two. Ending season one with my interview with producer Andy Harris of This American Laugh, you think that was the high note right there to go out on, but ladies and gentlemen, I can promise that season two and then on is going to just go higher and higher and higher, and today's guest is going to be no exception, but before we get into that, let me back up and forgive me for my manners. Welcome back to the I Know You Hear Me podcast. Like I said, this is season two, and this is a flabbergasted Flynn Hendricks here, still trying to process how we've made it this far, and I'll be honest, I couldn't do it alone. If I didn't have guys and girls like y'all tuning in to check out and support the show every week, this would not be possible. If I didn't have our sponsors keeping us afloat every week, this would not be possible. I wouldn't be able to have these awesome interviews and conversations with my friends and bring them to y'all every week. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And... We're also going to throw something new in now. Uh, For season two, we're going to change the format up a little bit. And at the end of every interview, my guest is going to have the opportunity to grill me with some questions. Unplanned, I don't know what they're going to ask me. So they're going to put me in the hot seat and I'm going to have to answer on the spot. So get ready for that. Today, we're starting off with an awesome guest in season two. And this is somebody, again, who I met through our uh, business of voiceover class. Gosh, crazy to think it was about this time last year again. Crazy how time flies. But during that time, you know, like we met in class, we became friends outside of there, and we have gone on to communicate and talk about our love of 90s attitude era wrestling and so many other things since then as well. Like we've talked about agency questions, audition questions, whatever it may be. Without further ado, I'm going to give this guy the introduction that he deserves. He is a voice actor. You've heard his voice in Mobile Legends and Chris Tales. If you pay attention to commercials on TV, you've heard him on Credit.com, IBM, and Netflix commercials. The sky's the limit for this guy, and I'm lucky to call him my friend. Today on the show, I've got Alex Mitz. Alex, how are you? Oh, shucks, man. My heart has grown three sizes in that, in just in that introduction. I'm great. So what I'm you're great. saying is you're the Grinch. Am I correct? Yeah, at times. At times <laughs> I can be. Don't, uh, the, don't let this happy commercial voice fool you into thinking that I'm, uh, <laughs> and I'm not Grinchy at times. No, dude, I, I'm right there with you. I think that's just part of being human. But 
man, again, I'm just grateful to have you on as a guest today and be able to chit-chat with you a little bit. Yeah, dude, same. It's a long time coming. Absolutely so, man. And I, I can't believe it's already been this long. But dude, let's uh, let's go ahead and hop into it, man. Take me back to the very beginning. Tell me what drew Alex into voiceover. Like, what got you into acting, voiceover? Just tell me about the entertainment bug and how it bit you. Oh, man, that was a long time ago. Like, when I was, uh, when I was a kid... And I say kid, I'm thinking like 12, 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I started really getting serious about like, I want to be in a band. You know, I was playing music and learned, teaching myself how to play guitar. Your sort of typical angsty teenage yeah. stuff. Like, I got a guitar. Let's dive into what punk rock is and let's start a punk band. And so I did that uh, around 13, 14-ish. Started really getting into bands around that time. And, you know, being 13 or 14, there's really only so much that you could do. Yeah. Being kind of the front person of a band, I kind of got that exposure of, like, being in front of people and kind of being vulnerable and putting myself out there. And coincidentally, around the same time, I was in high school drama. Like, I, I was in, like, the high school intro to drama drama class and having that sort of being able to talk to people thing and not being nervous on stage type of stuff. My drama teacher's like, hey, you want to go into like performance drama? I went, sure. And so I did that and I did shows through high school and once I graduated, I stopped. I stopped acting altogether. I stopped, I kept doing the music thing. I kept trying to be in bands and mm-hmm. do singer songwritery stuff and I really, really wanted to make the music thing work like I really wanted to get signed to like an indie label and go on tours and sleep in CD vans and you know drive <laughs> dream, way yeah. too many hours yeah just all that all the, like the dream you know being being an Audi's emo boy you know that was that was it that's what I wanted to do and so you know I, I got a whole series of jobs kind of helping to make that dream happen mm-hmm. uh, and they were all person-to-person jobs and you know I would say acting jobs I guess but like serving tables and tending bar like things that you have to kind of put on a face for to make the job work because right. if you've ever t- if you've ever tended bar you know it's not about making drinks so i did that for a long time i wanted to become a teacher to afford time to support the dream you know got in for all the wrong reasons and yeah. yet again another job where you stand up in front of a bunch of kids and try and make english Length, the you know, writing essays and grammar interesting, and so there's a lot of that stuff. And then getting into teaching, I ran into a guy who kind of became a mentor for a while, and he founded one of the community theaters here. Like he was working at the same school site I was. Okay. And so yeah, it was really cool. And so like we got around to chatting because I just got hired. Like he was in my interviews. Like oh, so what do you do? What are you about? Uh, so I told him all the things. And, you know, he told me that he founded one of the theaters here, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I did some acting in high school. Uh, never really took it anywhere though. And he goes, well, you know, you ever thought about getting back on stage? And I went, why? Do you have a you have a role? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I do. Nice. Uh, and so he he brought me out to his uh, theater, and I hadn't done community theater. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't gone to shows at community theater. Like community theater was not on my radar. At all. And so uh, I went out and read for the part, and he put me in. Like, he basically just needed my type in that part. Like, basically, if I could breathe and I could read, I was going (laughs) to fit the part. And so I caught wind that in their season, uh, they were doing, you know, this is my first show, and so Mm -hmm. I caught wind in their season at that theater that they were going to do The Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. I was like, oh, shit. Because I love... And I've always loved The Little Shop of Horrors. Prior yeah. to being an actor, I always thought, like, if I were ever an actor, I would want to be in Little Shop. I would be tree number four. I don't care. I just want to be in it. It just sounds really cool. 
so, you know, at the audition, I'm like, oh my God, you guys are doing Little Shop? They're like, yeah, another directorial team is, but it's going to happen here. And he's like, can you sing? Like, I can sing. I've been in bands and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, I go out for Little Shop the next time around and I got it. And I got to be Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. Like, wow. It was just a new guy coming in, just did the thing and made it work. And I've been doing shows ever since. And that was 2015. <sighs> Man, and, that is amazing. Yeah, and so I kind of put the music thing by the wayside and just kept focusing on acting. Like, you know, I was writing songs and putting right. singles out and shit. But, uh, you know, I really just let the acting bug take over. It was starting to satiate that need to be artistic. And I realized that it's not music necessarily that I'm in love with. It's art. If I'd found molding clay or painting on canvas, if I'd found an aptitude for those things, I felt like it fed the same part of that hunger. And yeah. so I just kept doing that. And so after a while, but I also became sort of the sound guy for the theater too, because of all that recording and mm -hmm. music background. They're like, oh, you can manipulate sound and do folly and foley folly. I don't know what it's called, but uh, you know, you can edit tracks and do all these really crazy things. We need that here. So I became both an actor and a sound person. Nice. And, and so down the line, someone went, well, why don't you just do both of those things at the same time? Why don't you do voice act? I went, uh, because I don't live in Texas or I don't live in Los Angeles. I don't live in New York or Chicago. They're like, mm -hmm. dude, you have the internet, right? I went, yeah. Well, then you don't need to do that for most of the things. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. And so, you know, I did all the, I did all the, things that we don't like to talk about. I did the the freelancing platforms mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. And I got a couple of things there, made a little bit of money, and then logically stepped into the next thing. Like, every time I started hitting ceilings, I was like, all right, well, what's next? All right, cool, what's after that? All right, cool, what's after that? And eventually that just got me here. And now, like, voice acting, I'm not, you know, a full-time, I'm not a full-time VA or anything. You know, I still instructionally design as my day job, but voice acting pays for like 25% of my bills. And I like looking back on, I keep a spreadsheet of like all my jobs and how much they pay and who they're through and what's their email address and what platform they use. And, you know, seeing that compared to like the, the W2 salary I have, I'm like, holy shit, this pays for things like this now yeah. pays for enough things that if I stopped doing it, I would take a significant financial hit. And that's, that's where we are. Man, that is amazing. Like I said, we've been friends for uh, a year now, but yeah. I didn't realize how much of our own, like, backstories and lives kind of, like, mirrored each other because I had a background in teaching for a brief stint as well, but I never fully pursued it after, at, you know, in college because the teaching requirements changed from a semester to a full year. And I just wanted to get out and graduate and be done with it. But, you know, again, chasing the dream too. you with the band, me with wrestling, like mm -hmm. everything you just said was like dead on what I was trying to do as an independent professional wrestler. So, like, I, I love how so closely, even though it was in different fields, our our stories mirrored each other. It's so unique, but it's so impactful at the same time. man. like that's impressive. Yeah, and you know, equating it to the wrestling circuit, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at with the whole like art. The, you know, that's the whole thing is that I I view wrestling as like a sport and an art combined. Yes. Like if you're if you're a wrestler, that feeds that part of your soul. So like you know, if you pick up a guitar, it feeds that part of your soul. If you mm -hmm. get on a stage, it feeds that part of your soul. If you get in the ring, you know, I'm sure that feeds that same part yes. of the soul. And I think I think it's interesting too because it's hard to explain that to people. Like, well, don't you miss? making music. It's like, sure, I miss making music, but I don't need 
music, I need art. Yes. That's what I need. That's probably the most eloquent way to put it. I've always equated it to like the adrenaline rush or the feeling of fulfillment. Yeah. But that makes so much sense because like the closest thing I've found to that since I've stopped doing it full time, just announced a minor comeback or whatever it's going to turn out to I be. I saw that. <laughs> I'm interested to hear about that. But yeah, oh, keep boy. going. We'll, we'll see where that goes. It, it's been through like improv and like occasional voice acting roles or even some local like theater performances like just doing them like for local church performances back in the day before covid hit like just Mm -hmm. that live performance rush makes you like it fulfills that need for art in your life and it's just it's a weird thing that if somebody hasn't done it or somebody hasn't pursued it there's no way they're going to understand it unless they felt it themselves yeah, and you know, there's a there's an interesting saying. I have a uh, I have a friend. Her name is Misty. She's she's much more into the theory than I am. So she's more she's more of a formal acting. You know, she's more of a formal actor. We were talking about this, and you know, there there have been times where it's like, oh, you, you do the stage stuff, and I'm shooting like an independent movie. Let's go do this. You know, let's go do this independent movie. And um, you know, and playing on that point of like getting that reinforcement that you need. Yeah. I did the independent movie like thing or did like the independent film stuff. And that's not as fulfilling. Like I'm sure to some people like they love, you know, love the camera for me. It's not that because it's like, all right, we're going to shoot this scene and then we're going to shoot this scene again. And we're going to shoot the scene again, but from a different angle. Right. And, we're gonna, oh, and then yeah. we, oh, you know, it's a week later, but we're going to shoot the scene again because we missed something on this last bit. And so my friend Misty told me one time, you know, I, I was kind of griping about it. Like, I don't really want to do, like, camera stuff anymore. Like, it was cool to have the experience, but it's not, like, my jam. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's like, you know, film, you know, some, she's like, someone, someone who wrote something in a book that she read because she reads books said, you know, uh, film is a director's medium. You know, that's what the director wants and what the vision is. It's all the directors. But when you're on a stage, that's an actor's medium. Like you take that character through that journey twice a week, five times a week, however you, however you perform it. But every time you get up there, you get to kind of tweak that journey just a little bit more. And it's something different and something fulfilling. And you're there from start to finish. You're there for the arc for filming. It's like, you might shoot the end of the movie first. You might shoot the middle sometime in a month from now. And I don't know. I like having that sense of completion. That's my thing. Yeah. I'm right there with you too, because sometimes it's easier to, um, if, especially if you can see the finish line, it's easier to go ahead and want to cross it than go ahead and have to keep backing up and redoing or, or whatever, because then like the perfectionism can even set in and that can drive you crazy too, because you just can't get it off your mind. Oh yeah. I, oh man, that's, that's the worst. That was always the thing too with music too, is like when you record a song and then eventually it just has to be good enough mm-hmm. and then you, and then you like put it out in the world and then you've been like, oh damn it, it was a little flat on that note or that guitar leg wasn't quite as tight as it needed to be, you know, right. but I, that, that's kind of what I like the live stuff or like, you know, especially with voiceover, like with voiceover stuff, a lot of it's really short form. Mm-hmm. And also too, like if you're doing something that is long form, you're usually doing a couple of takes and whoever's picking it, it's out of your hands. Yeah. Like, you know, if you do like, a, if you do like some character work for someone, it's like, all right, give me a take like this. Give me a take like that. Give me another take like this. All right, cool. And then they pick one take. And so that's completely off your plate, you know, being your own sort of record producer or music producer, you have to make all those decisions. And that sucks. Like having someone else make the decisions. That's great. I'm here to perform. I'm here to do the thing. And then you handle the rest. Yeah. I like that. And this next question is, um, 
it's out of curiosity, mainly on my end, because it was something that I kind of struggled with at the beginning. But mm-hmm. once you put it out in the world, like like you said, you can go back and listen and, oh, this should have been better or this should have been tighter, whatever it may be. We're our own worst critics. But how was it for you when you first started, especially with the submit it and forget it mentality? What was that like for you? Uh, really hard. And it's still hard sometimes. Uh, like even though I have a handful of like agents and stuff, and I'm you know working on leveling that part of my life up now, I still do pay to plays. I still do Voices.com. I still mm-hmm. do Voice One Two Three, because they, they still pay. That's the yeah. thing is I'm not going to close myself off to a revenue stream just because it's like oh well I have agents now and I only do agent work and you know some people are like that and that's fine. Like if you can get by on your agents and whatever else you do, sure. I'm not at that point yet. So things like Voices.com, Voice One Two Three, where they show you right up front like your shortlists. That kills me. Like, that destroys me super hard. Because there are things that I can send and forget. So, like, for example, a commercial for something I don't care about. You know, like, the software company that makes software that detects the number of fish in your fish tank. I don't know. It's just stuff that I don't care about. Like, I'll read for that. And I'll do a good commercial read for that. Like, I'll, I'll do all the things. Like, I'll find something I care about, kind of inject that in my psyche and read about the fish tank thing and then send that – I'll send that off and forget it because I'm not, like, looking to book that commercial. But there are things that do cross my audition inbox where I'll read for it and I'll be like, damn, I really want that. Like, I want that real bad. For example, on my current demo, I have a spot that I really like for HelloFresh. I've never done a HelloFresh commercial, not for real. But the spot on my demo, I really am attached to that spot. I was like, it's like, wow, this is probably my favorite spot on this demo. And so then a HelloFresh audition came through my inbox. I'm like, oh shit, this is it. This nice. is this is the time. <laughs> I'm ready for this. So, you know, I do the thing, I go research the commercials, what kind of read do they normally go with, blah, 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 blah. You know, do my couple of takes, pick the best ones, send it off. And it's not like a ton of money. It's, it's, it's still like a three-figure job. But it was like... It's like, oh, this is, I want this because it's part of my journey. And I got shortlisted for it. It's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get this job. And I didn't get the job. And I don't know why, but that one just like killed me. You know, like that one got me pretty bad. So if it's something that crosses my path that I'm really excited about, the shortlist bothers me more than the not shortlist. Like I can deal with not getting listened to. Mm -hmm. I can deal with the job being completed without my voice ever being heard. But getting shortlisted... And then not getting the job still messes with me. Yes, uh, I'm I'm right there with you too. Because then you don't like sometimes you don't even get feedback or hey we liked this but we decide like you just you just see that you made the short list but that's it. I, I get that it's like that hump that you can't get over sometimes. Yeah, you know, and that's I don't know like <clears throat> it's tough though like the shortlisting thing and I know it shouldn't bug me and I've talked to people and they're like dude don't let it bug you it's just. Stop paying attention to the shortlists. Stop paying attention to the shortlists. Like, I can't. I can't. Because you have to pay attention to the shortlists a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because for every X amount of auditions you send, you should probably get Y amount of shortlists. And if you're not getting Y amount of shortlists per X amount of auditions sent, you're probably doing something wrong. I don't know the number. Uh, Like, I I open up Voices.com today, and it's like, boom, three shortlists. And, like, I haven't been auditioning that much lately. It's like, oh. Okay, cool. So those shortlists affirm that I'm doing something right. Right. That the, co- that the coaching is working, that the reads are good. And so now it becomes about like, all right, what's that like one or two percent that I can do to get there? But man, like it's tough because I have to pay attention to the shortlists to make sure I'm still doing what I need to do. But if it's something I really want, 
then it just destroys me. So that's that's that. I, I get that 100%, man. Like, that makes so much sense to me. With that, like, especially, like, because we did mention the pay-to-play sites, like, you hear, it seems like it's never-ending, oh, they're great, or oh, they're bad, or whatever. Like, oh, if you have an agent, you shouldn't use them. Like you said, it kind of justifies itself with the amount of income it's making in your overall, like, you know, in your overall lifestyle, but do you ever still feel like people have a negative opinion towards you for using that, or how do you navigate that kind of thing? I think it was, I'm sure you're familiar with Jun Yoon. Yes. Jun's been my coach, uh, he's been a mentor, he's been a friend, and I think he said it best, where you just kind of have to keep in mind that your journey is your journey. You can listen to people all day trash VDC. You can listen listen to people all day trash V123. You can listen to people all day trash Fiverr, you know, Upwork. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. But if, like, those things are putting money in your pocket to put food on the table for your family, that's your journey. It's the same argument that people make with, like, X job deserves minimum wage. Right. Right? So, like, you inherently, like, are devaluing something based on the class or the status that you perceive of that job. It's like, you know, we always go to the flipping burgers or uh, making coffee as like the low tier jobs in our sort of like cultural hive mind. Like that's always the thing. It's like, oh, you don't want to be flipping burgers or making fries. It's like, dude, someone's got to flip the burgers and make the fries. Like that's not a not important job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, if I'm on, you know, and I know people who have like big hot shit agents who are still on Voices.com, who are still on Voice123 because they know that the revenue comes in. I can see trashing Fiverr because they do drive prices down. They also gear their advertising in a way that sort of shits on voice actors a bit. But is it inherently bad? No. And do people make good money on Fiverr? Like, do people hold the line and charge what they're worth? Yes, they do. I don't know, man. Like, I never join in those, like, bashing things like Voices.com. And it's like, if you don't like it, don't use it. But for some of us, that's a pretty good way to make money. And that's a pretty good way to level up, too. You know, like, that's how I got things. You know, I it's funny, too, because I just dropped a, a couple of us on Twitter. Like, oh, new Mobile Legends voice pack dropped and that kind of, you know. And yeah. I seriously got, like, five direct messages like, dude how did you get in Mobile Legends? And I've been in Mobile Legends for a long time. Like, I've been in Mobile Legends for, like, <laughs> a year. And so, like, how did you get into Mobile Legends? I'm like, well, first, it was a job on VDC. It was a $100 job for a promotional thing, like a YouTube promotional deal. It was, like, exists on internet only. And it was just, like, a promotional deal. Like, someone, they needed a voice for a hero that's gonna, that was, like, too, like, it was very short. It was, like, 10 words. And it wasn't even like a custom audition. Like I submitted like my character demo and they went, oh, that we like that. And so they got back to me um, and then they found me outside of voices oh, and they nice. just keep sending me work. And so what happened was it was just like promotional stuff like that for a while. And then it turned into, okay, you're this character in this game. And then, oh, here's another character for a different game in the same franchise. And I've been working with them for like a year, almost two years now like i felt bad because this is the first like i'm in tech week for a stage show and they're like oh we need you to do some pickups like wednesday then i told them straight up like this week was bad like guys i'm sorry i can't and they're like all right we'll we'll figure something out without you thanks it was like the first time i've turned them down but they've given me like steady work and so how did you get into mobile legends like i positioned myself on a pay-to-play platform and i randomly shot off an audition that turned into this magical fruit bearing tree 
that, that's the whole thing with voice acting, in my opinion, is you've got to, A, be good. You can't just show up and not be good. Being good is the prerequisite to get to the starting line. What's, what's the, I think it was Louis Pasteur, the guy who invented pasteurization for milk, once said, chance favors the prepared. So true. The prepared is being good, and then the chance is, am I in as many places as I can be to get the jobs I want to get? And that was that. Man, I love that. It's it's an intricate story, but at the same time, even going back to what June told you, to like the Pasteur quote, like everything is so beautiful and so deep, but at the same time, it all comes down to a simple element. I, I love that. And with you trying to get yourself out there in as many places as you can, like how do you balance, especially with your work life and these auditions, how do you fight burnout and mental fatigue or what do you do to recharge your batteries during all this? Yeah, that one's tough. I've been very fortunate because I've been, I've been home. Like I, I changed careers mid pandemic. I left teaching and got into instructional design mid pandemic. And that was wild. And so I got hired remote for a position that wasn't remote. Like I have an office and I have a computer in that office. Right. I've been to that office twice wow. in the past year and seven months. Whew. And I'm estimated to be remote through the winter. And then we, we guess that we're going back in spring. I don't know. Uh, so I've been very fortunate to be able to do my work from home. And when a juicy audition comes into my inbox, I can just hop mm -hmm. in the booth and crank it out and then get back to work. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if my, nobody, nobody I work with listens. This is like going to listen to like my voice <laughs> acting stuff. You know, like that's like, is someone at Cal State going to listen to this? I've thought about like going and getting a remote job, like just straight, because instructional designers often are remote. Right. Like we do. Like, and so like, I've thought about going and getting a remote job just to keep this lifestyle because like I haven't had to go into the office for like two years. Why do I need to go back now? Anyway, exactly. As so I'm going trying back, to transition to a remote job myself. So that's, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about it for sure. But going back to the whole burnout fatigue, I have a tendency to take on way too much. We are I, the same. We are the same. Dude, we sure are. We should dive into that. It's like just our pop culturisms that are just, yes. it, it, it's really hard to not like every single thing that you post on Facebook in, in a fear of being creepy. <laughs> right, right. Like we are literally, we are distance brothers for sure. Going back to burnout, it's tough because the VO thing is hard, you know, and I, yes, I, I try and put like that positivity into the world of like, don't beat yourself up. Sometimes it's just to remind myself to not do it to myself. And one of the things that I've kind of landed on, like one of my maxims that I've sort of developed for myself is there will be periods of time where I book a lot. Like there'll be periods of time where I'm just going to kick ass. And there are going to be periods of time where I don't book shit. Yep. And I'm kind of in that period right now. Like I'm getting a lot of interesting shortlists for like four figure jobs, which means I'm doing something right because I've got to pay attention to those numbers. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really booking a whole lot right now. Like, I'm booking a little things here and there. I've got my recurring clients coming and paying me for stuff. But, like, as far as booking new shit, not doing a really good job doing that. But there'll be times where I'm going to book a lot. There are times where I'm going to book very little. But I can't let either of those times define who I am. And if I burn out, I got to take care of myself. You know, I got to go step away from the mic. And that's hard to do, especially with like pay to play stuff where it's, you know, you pay this many hundreds of dollars a year for voices. You pay this many hundreds of dollars a year for voice one, two, three, especially now that I'm like paying for the big boy voice one, two, three. And that's a shitload of money. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to tell yourself to walk away 
because of like the sunken cost fallacy. I'm paying for this and I'm getting these auditions and for every audition I don't do, that's money that I'm potentially walking away from. But then you got to remind yourself, if you feel like shit, you're not getting that anyway. If you feel like shit, it's going to read in the mic. It's going to. Like no amount, of, no amount of smiling, no amount of like jazzing yourself up. If you're really like fucked up right now, do something else for like a week. You know, like it doesn't have to be forever. You know, don't quit. That's what separates a lot of like voice actors who do well versus voice actors who don't. And I see this on like Twitter all the time. It's like, I haven't done this thing. Well, how long have you been voice acting? Like six months. It's like, dude, if you're going to get like really into your head after six months of doing something and quit, then you're just going to make way for the next person to come in and you know scoop up that thing. It's like a it's like a slot machine. Mm-hmm. I always th- I always say that voiceover is like a slot machine. You've got to be really qualified to play, and that's the thing. You can keep pulling that handle and not winning, and not winning, and not winning. But if you get up and walk away, someone's going to pull that handle and someone's going to win. Yeah. If it's not going to put you out to keep pulling that handle, then pull the fucking handle. If you run out of emotional currency, take a break. Yep. It's that simple, but I mean, it, we we make it that much more difficult on ourselves too. Like, I I know I have a lot of FOMO because it's like, man, if I don't do this, like I've already, you know, it's like you said with the pay to play sites. Like I've already sunk all this money into a setup, into equipment. You make yourself feel obligated to do it, and then it puts your mental health and everything on the back burner. When at the same time, like you said, like no amount of smiling or whatever is going to come across in that audition if you feel like shit. Oh yeah. And pros will tell you this all the time if you, like, whisper in their ear or, like, seek their advice or whatever. In the beginning, you audition for everything. Mm-hmm. Is it a $1,000 job? I'll go for it. Is it a $100 job? Sure, why not? And you audition for everything, and you burn out real fast that way. And then you learn to stop doing that. And then you start targeting the things that you do book or start targeting the things that pay really well, regardless of whether you book them or not. And so that's a good way to avoid burnout and kind of avoid that sunken fallacy cost is, like, you know, voice one, two, three has some really juicy auditions in the upper tiers. And unfortunately, is that particular platform is more of a pay to win. Like if you're not paying to get in those upper tiers, you're probably not seeing a lot of the good stuff. I'll wake up in the morning enough. I see like a four figure audition to like two or three of those. I'll crank them out, but I don't hold on to them. And that's kind of how I offset my sunken cost because like those hundred dollar jobs, those $200 jobs, a lot of the time they're looking for not what we do. If that makes sense, like they're looking, they're looking for the fiber stuff. They just happen to be ready right. to spend more. It's like, hey, go do this thing. It's gonna be super awesome, and you know, like that's not the type of stuff that I book. And so I could waste my time going extreme software and then not booking it or giving the conversational read for you know a thousand or a two thousand dollar job and potentially booking it. I was kind of down on myself. Like I was kind of burnt out. Very recently, and then also very recently, I got a message on Voice One Two Three for uh, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say for some product that I read for that my voice fits into that sort of young teenager sounder teenagery sounding voice, mm-hmm. and they went, "Hey, we like your audition. Here's the cost. You know, here's the four figure cost. Uh, here's the usage. I'm going to deliver this to the client, and I will let you know if you're selected. Do these terms sound good to you?" And I went, "Yeah." <laughs> they sure do. And so, I mean, I haven't heard anything back. I've tried following up, but bureaucracy being what it is, right? things might be delayed. I may still get that job, but I've already accepted that I haven't. But getting that letter was just as good for booking for me. And that's another thing, too. Is like, Absolutely. I'm on a soapbox right now. But uh, <laughs> that's another thing, too, is like if voiceover isn't your only source of income, 
Like, if voiceover is a thing that you're aspiring to do, and you're still making money doing something else, then don't make it the end of the world if you don't book that thing. Like, that's the thing, is if I don't book a single gig from now until the end of the universe, I'm not leaving my job. Like, the only time I would leave my job is if voiceover became so lucrative, it would be dumb for me to go to work. But I'm not at that point. So, like, voice acting's fun. Acting is fun. I love acting. And I love audio. I love all these things. And that's kind of how I avoid burnout. It's like, I have to remind myself that acting's fun. I don't want to be a voice actor with the sole purpose of booking because then I don't like acting anymore. I like booking. It becomes a job more than it becomes a fun, fulfilling experience. Yeah, and like you just need to not give a shit about whether or not you book. Like if that's your only source of income, then I get it. Like burnout's got to be tough because your livelihood depends on whether you book or not. But if your livelihood doesn't depend on whether or not you book, then don't fucking care about it. It's the ones that I don't care about or the ones that are like way off in my periphery. The shit that I don't even think twice about is the stuff I book. The Netflix thing was something I had no idea. I didn't even know what it was when I auditioned for it. Like, I got the copy, wow. and it was like, all right, cool. It was like a show that I hadn't even heard of. Okay, but, like, it was literally the word away. It was that, like, space show. And I never watched it. I didn't even know it was coming out. I didn't know who was in it. But, like, I saw the copy, and it, it had the word away, but it had it as a capital A. I'm like, all right, so this is a proper noun. I have no fucking idea what this is. So I auditioned for it, didn't care about it, sent it off, got it back, got all the NDA stuff from Netflix. I'm like, holy shit, this is Netflix. Wow. This is really cool. But that was a lot of fun just because like, oh, this is exactly the type of read I want to do. And I did it and I sent it and I didn't care about it and I got it. So that's nice. my that's my two cents. Man, I love that. So this is a question that uh, really kind of intrigues me now with you getting something like Netflix that's so out there like where everybody can hear it or even like some of the other commercials that you've read for that we listed uh you know in your introduction how is that for like your family and friends like do they ever bring that up to you like they're starstruck or are you just still like everyday Alex to them how is that dynamic pretty much the, uh, the, the latter which is kind of funny because it's like the credit.com thing was like a regional commercial so it only aired in like certain parts of the country mm -hmm. um and i don't think it aired in my part of the country devry was like an internet commercial but like if like if you head to my website and you go like open the youtube link it's like millions of views and it's like that's kind of cool that millions yeah, of people have heard absolutely. my voice absolutely um the Netflix thing is like their official like YouTube content type of stuff. So if you follow their YouTube channel regularly, odds are you may have heard me. But like that's kind of a niche thing that people do, like follow Netflix on YouTube. But when people ask me about it, I do get a lot of like interesting like reverie almost. I was talking to it with a friend and I had a, another friend over here. And so we were having this discussion about voiceover. And then the other friend like stopped the conversation and went, why is all the stuff you do really cool and interesting? And I don't think of it as really cool and interesting. I just kind of say, you know, going back to just saying yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll just say yes to things if they sound cool. I don't know if I can talk about this yet, but I have another instructional design opportunity oh, nice. that I'm working on right now. I'm developing a course. And I, I think the thing is I can't talk about who's distributing the course, like where you will be able to find it online until it right. gets there. Okay. But it's like if you've ever taken those like professional courses on those websites that you pay a subscription for and you have access to all these courses, trying to say it without saying it, it's going to be distributed in those places. And so just out of the blue, I get a message from someone on LinkedIn and he goes, 
hey, I came across your profile in a non-robot sort of way. And that made me laugh. He's like, I think you'd be really good for this thing that we do. And it was like a video production company. And what they do is, is they work with you to develop courses. And then they get you down to their studio in Santa Barbara. And then you film the course. And then they put it where it's going to go. And I think that came about because I was doing like YouTube content for instructional design. And Mm -hmm. he found my stuff. And he's like, you've got the type of stuff that we're looking for. And you know a lot about this thing. Let's make a course together. And they're paying me. They're fucking paying me to do it. Like they're paying me to do a thing that I would do for free. And they're going to put me up in a hotel in Santa Barbara and then pay me to go film this thing. And so like it's stuff like that where, you know, going back to your original question, like do people look at me differently because I do these things? I don't know. However, like people do talk about it in my presence you know, like sometimes when you when people talk about you, like you're not there, yeah, in a very in a very nice way. So I mean, I can't tell if the perception has shifted, but like people know that I'm doing shit that's beyond like your average like go to work, come home, snack, and then go to bed type of thing. But, but that all comes about is just me finding opportunities, and then rather than going, well, I don't know if I'm the right person for this, you know, or yeah, maybe I don't have the time. It's or you know, no, yeah, I'm doing it. Do I have the time? I don't know, but fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. It sounds really cool, and I would kick myself if I didn't. Absolutely. You'd you'd rather have the experience than the the taste of regret for not following through on that, which, man, that whole thing just sounds like high-class bougie. That's awesome. It sounds bougie as fuck, and I'm so (laughs) stoked to, like, order room service. But I'm I'm also working on another thing right now. I've got, like, 12 plates spinning, another instructionally designed thing. For a company that I, like, know, like a company that I – I don't know if I can say it, but I'll say it anyway. For CompTIA, they're the ones who do all, like, the IT certifications Mm -hmm. and shit. Yeah. I'm doing, doing, like, a big project for them, and I'm worried that I'm going to get fired at any moment because they're going to discover that I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I keep submitting things for review, and they send it back. They're like, no, this looks good, or – They'll send it back. They go, no, you're missing the marks here, here, and here. Just tighten these up and send it back to us. But they're paying me. Like They're paying me lots of money to do this thing for them. And I just, I can't believe it. Man, that is And it is all awesome. came about from someone going, Alex can do that thing. And I went, uh, that's awfully nice that you think so. And then they go, well, they said that you can do that thing. Do you want to do this thing? Sure. And that's it. That's how I do it. I love that. And, man, like, I know there's so much more that, like, we barely scratched the surface on voiceover, on everything else. But one big thing that you and I, like, it was almost like an unwritten rule that we have to discuss this before, like, before we even set up the episode was just, like, the love of late 90s, early 2000s attitude era wrestling. So... We got to get into that. So, like, was that oh, yeah. where you first, like, found your love of professional wrestling, or were you a fan before that? No, I mean, because I was born in 1989. Uh, so same here. I, yeah, I mean, I grew up with that stuff. <laughs> and, you know, depending on what was on TV, I could sort of fill in the backlog of, like, the 80s era wrestling, yeah. and I didn't really care about the 70s or 60s stuff, but, like, you know, once the 80s era, you know, I could kind of fill in the 80s era stuff where, like, Undertaker kind of hit the scene, and, like, Triple H was, you know, still the regal Hunter Hearst Helmsley thing. Yes, yes. Um, Brett the Hitman Hart, this sort of, like, neon pink, I, I like to call it the neon pink era, you know, because you've got, like, Bret Hart and, like, the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Hulk Hogan and shit like that. So vibrant. Super vibrant. But like 90s wrestling was what I grew up on. WCW, WWF, 
like that shit. My dad would get me like the pay-per-views on the weekends and I'd bring my friends over and then we would beat the shit out of each other while we were watching wrestling. Of and, course. You know, that kind of thing. Like that. And you know, I think I tapered off around the early 2000s. Like when I was like 12, 13, I kind mm-hmm. of started tapering off. But like if it was the 90s and it was Monday night, Raw was on, period. And not, not only was Raw on, but in the other room, I had the VCR taping Monday Night Nitro. Oh, man, such a good time in wrestling. And the toys? Oh, man, the toys were so good. Buddy, don't even... <laughs> I sold all mine last year, but, man, oh, like, no. I had I had a whole room full of this stuff. And it's just like... I think mine kind of came in reverse as far as everything goes, though. Like, I got reintroduced when I was like 8 or 9, so late 90s, full swing of the Attitude Era tapered off for a little bit but then you know like 2002 comes back the rock versus hulk hogan that pulled me back in and then it's like from then on you know it was just like dead on hooked and now i'm in that adult burnout phase but i still tune in every now and then but i mean like even going back and re-watching all that stuff like there was just something so magical about that like you can't pin it on one specific thing whether it was the shows versus like nitro versus raw on mondays or whatever it was but it's just like the engagement was at an all-time high from just about every aspect of wrestling at that point and it made it fun for the viewers remind me to send you something uh, like i send you a link and i'll plug it here and it's old like it's an old thing it's from a guy named max landis that name sounds very familiar He's a writer. I think he wrote that movie Super 8 or whatever. And he's kind of a he's kind of a pompous douchey dude, but he did this really intricate YouTube video called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling, I think is what it's called. But what he does is is he talks about the arc of Triple H over 15 years. And like there's like celebrities oh, wow. who like do like the reenactments like that's super low budget, but like it's like a home camcorder and like Elijah Wood pops up is like it's really funny like because it has those like reenactment bits but yeah. he really he really intricately details the arc of Triple H over 15 years basically from like 1990 to 2005 and it is just the most compelling video about wrestling I've ever seen and the whole bit at the very end is that you know wrestling is drama wrestling is comedy wrestling is character development wrestling yes. is story wrestling is all of these things but it's not wrestling. It's so well done. And that's that's why 90s era wrestling was so good is because there were arcs and there were villains and there were archetypes. And, mm-hmm. you know, you would go through these heroes journeys and this is the English teacher in me coming out, but it's just so well done. And it's just conflict all the time. Like you, you, you get bits of story in between people beating the shit out of each other. Yep. But it's like, just enough to drive forward and like you get oh it's just and everyone had someone that they could like glom onto yes like, you know, we, we all had those wrestlers that we loved and i i gotta get that link too because then i gotta i gotta get it over to like uh, season one guest zach harris because as everybody heard on his episode he was a huge fan of triple h so yep. i'm gonna oh, have to get my hands love, on that he would love it and i mean <laughs> triple h has such an interesting story he like, really does he really does on top of that, too, again, like the English major thing, or you know, the English teacher comes out. I was an English major in high or in college, if I can even get my words out now. But my junior year in high school, like my all-time favorite English teacher, just absolutely hated professional wrestling. But this guy was the reason that I even wanted to like pursue anything like English or literature based past high school, and. 
I begged him for my final paper that year, like, please let me do a paper on professional wrestling and how it's an art form and not just like some, we'll, we'll call it crass, you know, like crass show perform, like, yeah. I don't even know the right words I'm trying to find for it, but like, he begrudgingly accepted it and like, that paper got me an A in his class and it's like, his words were, I never even looked at things like character development or how a story evolves between two wrestlers. I always just saw somebody saying suck it on TV or a guy that thought he was a porn star. And that's all I thought of wrestling. The art form is something that is not appreciated enough. Going back to the hesitancies that teacher had makes sense, you know, Mm -hmm. because like you have to appeal to anyone who has basic cable who can get TV yes. that can get wrestling. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. you've got to include the crass stuff for, you know, for the, I like that term for this. Like you got to include suck it. You've got to include Val Venus yes. for like the ladies man type of machismo person watching it. But it's all like this sort of lowbrow layer disguising this really highbrow machine, this yes. highbrow story machine that just cranks out weak after week after week and just keeps it interesting for years and years and years. That's what blows my mind is that this thread threads for decades across multiple characters. This is Game of Thrones level shit, you know? It really is. Oh, man. Like, I just, it's just, it gets you fired up thinking about it. It it really does. And, like, that's one reason that I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited to be getting back into it. My body maybe not so much after that first (laughs) show happens. But, like, If it's done right, if the attention to detail is paid to it, if there is a chance for the story to evolve and it's not something that's just thrown at the wall hoping it will stick, it can be a very good, very powerful, and very entertaining medium for, you know, audiences to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like, it's funny, too, because, like... My dad got really into wrestling, and my dad's sort of highbrow. Like he has his fair of like his fair share of like dick jokes and things that he likes. But my dad's a pretty highbrow humor sort of guy. Yeah. And you know, when I started watching wrestling, I was like, "Oh, okay, Alex is watching wrestling." And after a while, he fucking he, he couldn't get enough. Like uh, he would he would watch Raw with me every Monday. He'd watch SmackDown with me on Thursdays. He'd be there for the pay per views. Like he got into it. Because he could recognize those things. And I think that's very hats off to my dad because my dad's an old, you know, now he's an old white guy. But he's very, he's super like, fuck it, let's give this a chance. Let's let's roll. And he's always just kind of been that way. And that's kind of the thing. And I'm glad that you wrote that paper for your teacher because people don't give it a chance. And, man, they are missing out. Absolutely. And now I got to go back and find that paper wherever it may be if it even still exists. Speaking of your dad and giving things a chance... That's a perfect segue to roll into our main event segment here as we're coming up on an hour. This is something that, man, truth be told, you're going to be the guinea pig on, but it's time for putting me in the hot seat. So if you've got any questions, we'll say five questions or so that you want to fire off at me. I don't know what these questions are going to be beforehand, so anything you hear from me is going to be an on-the-spot answer. I'm at Alex's mercy at this point. I've been grilling him for the last 50 minutes, so now it's his turn to grill me some. All right. I'm going to start off with an easy one. I'm going to, I'm going to, lob, you, I'm going to lob you a softball. Here. All right. What is your current favorite breakfast cereal? Man, it's hard to say, but it's going to be whatever my wife buys for the kids and I can sneak out. Usually okay. it's either uh, Fruit Loops or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. 
I'm currently on a cinnamon toast crunch kick. So I'm good. Uh, I have to eat before bed, and cereal is my thing of choice. Like, it's nice. easy. You just put the cereal and pour the milk. I can't sleep if I'm hungry, so that's my jam. So I was curious to know what yours was. But yeah, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the jam. Yes, sir. All right, let's move into some more existential All right. questions. And I think you probably already answered this, but what are you excited about right now? Like, what's the thing in your life that's, like, revving your engine? Man, right now, it's honestly the fact that my oldest son is able to, like start going to conventions and things with me and like it's just been this huge like sense of fulfillment that a couple weeks before we have been recording this episode uh he and i traveled down to georgia and met <laughs> sean schimmel voice of goku like one of the yeah. big reasons that i ever wanted to become a voice actor like I, i'd met him through zoom doing a workshop with him and Oddly enough, he remembered me. Don't ask me how. Cool. You know, big thing for me. But, like, the fact that he took time with my oldest son, who is, like, just now getting into Dragon Ball and the things that I grew up on and made that moment for him, like, that's all he has talked about. And, like, that has been a huge thing for me. So, like, just getting able to make these experiences and these moments with him now is something that, like... And I'm waiting for his younger brother to get to that point, too. So just, like, being able to make these moments with my kids and my wife, like, that is the biggest thing, man. That is terribly wholesome. I love that answer. <laughs> I'm God, sorry to break awesome. the facade of, uh, of crude self-deprecation, but there, no, there's that was, a little shining light. That was lights. nice. That was beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Okay. Let's get a little more, a little more somber now. What? And just off the top of your head. Mm-hmm is your biggest regret. If you think about another one later, don't kick yourself and be like, oh, I should have said that. But like, you know, what's the one that's like close to the front of the brain? Man, my biggest regret is, again, just because as we're recording this, we're coming up on the the holidays. Spoiler alert, I'm recording things early. It's one that I have not properly addressed since then, but at the holidays, my grandmother got sick and got pneumonia. I had the flu, and she caught it from me. Unfortunately, she passed from that. But my biggest regret has been not making her go to the doctor sooner before, you know, like having to physically get her out of bed and take her. So I wish I would have just put my foot down and said, no, stop being stubborn. You're going because, you know, like a couple years later, who knows if that's the way it was going to play out. But she could have been, you know, like a great grandmother. That's probably one of my biggest regrets. Yeah, it's understandable. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Thank you. Nice to get that off my chest finally, but yeah, Good. there you go. Yeah. Let's uh, let's flip that around then. So instead of your biggest regret, question number four, what's your biggest accomplishment that's close to the front of your brain? Man, biggest accomplishment is probably – I'm going to do a professional one, and it's, it's a voiceover-related one because mm-hmm. – um, over over the summer, I got to finally get into a workshop with Charlie Adler, and yeah. that guy was, again, he's like one of the biggest voices of my childhood, like four years and up, like every cartoon I watched, he was in. We would do like cold reads in his workshop, and he gave me an instruction like, hey, don't use your hands so much because you emote too much with your hands. And out of habit, on the last read in that class, I was doing a read as the Queen of England. He would give us a character that we would have to read as, and, you know, like, he would just say, do the read again as this. So I did it, and out of habit, I started doing the hands thing again, and I just 
took a line out of improv and went, oh shit, kids, I'm doing the thing with my hands again. And <laughs> he almost fell out of his chair laughing at it. And he's like, I, I'm not even going to like be mad about that because that was, spoiler alert, that was fucking great. He Charlie cussed, not trying to ruin any images, but you know, he said that was fucking great, and I love how you worked that in and didn't let it deter you. So that was a that was a huge thing for me. Like if I could do something like that that impresses him, like, okay, time to stop being stupid and get out of your own way and just roll with it. Yeah. Dude, that's cool. Like that's and that that shows like a level of roll with itness. You know yes. what I mean? That's that I mean, for directed sessions, that's a big deal in the booth of just being able to to do that kind of thing. Now, uh, I could just do it, that with commercials. Too, like, Ooh, buddy. <clears throat> man, I, I conduct myself with my hands in the booth all the time. Same. Like, so I'd be, I'd be terrible in Charlie's class because like, I've learned some techniques or I've learned some bad habits that I have. Yeah. And I, I use my hands to like keep them at bay. So for example, I'm really sing songy. Same. So, like, I'll, same. I'll talk, I'll talk about, you know, I'll say, talk about a product and I'll be like, tide, tide, Tide Pods. The Tide Pods are the best tasting Tide Pods. And, you know, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll really go up and down on those. And so, like, I, um, what I'll do is I'll kind of keep my hands out in front of me. Mm-hmm. And as I start to, like, dr- and I've trained myself, as I start to drift tonally, my hands will start to move up with that tone. And so, as I watch my hands move up, I can kind of Man. control my hands back down. I and so, I'll be like, Tide, these are the best tasting Tide Pods. Level it out, level it out, level it out best tasting Tide Pods you're ever going to have. And so that's that's kind of what, or instead of going sing-songy, like going down to up, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just kind of push a word a little bit, and I'll actually you do the push motion with my hands. Like, these are the best tasting, because I could say these are the best tasting Tide Pods. These are the best tasting Tide Pods. I don't want that. I want these are the best tasting Tide Pods you're ever going to have. Man. I want the push. And so I'll push with my hands. I do I do that stuff all the time. Or I have a tendency to talk from like up down. Like I'll I'll tell you this thing and then I'll end on a down like that. Yeah. And it's very like authoritative, but sometimes it's talking down to you. Oh, and I need to train myself to talk up. So I'll kind of do the the flip with the hand, be like, hey, these are the best tasting Tide Pods you're ever gonna have. Bring it right on up with the hands. So I don't know. Man. I've trained myself with my hands. Where anyway. where were you Friday when I was doing my uh, my commercial demo <laughs> with Melissa Medina? I know she did yours too. You know, she taught me all those like tonal tricks and everything. Yes. So like, uh, but I I still have to use my hands to do it. Like I have to level myself out with my hands. I've got to flip my hands up to go from down to up. Or I if I'm going to be that. just real steady, real middle of the road, I'm going to keep my hands like right here, and I'm not going to drift. And then maybe I can end on the down, or maybe I can end on the up. But not too much. I like that. Or I can just push this word. I can make it just a little bit more than everything else with a push. And not more than everything else, but just a little bit more than everything else. Man, amazing. Amazing. And let's see, our last question of the lightning round. Uh, what are you doing in five years? What's your What's your five-year plan? Man, in five years, hopefully... In a perfect world, I would be doing voiceover full-time and setting an example for my kids that, hey, any dream, no matter how big, is possible. I like that. Voiceover full-time, so five years wrestling's not going to be... You know, hard to say. It it really depends on how my body would hold up. Last year, before things got crazy with COVID, I was out maybe a year and a half, and I started feeling like all the injuries kind of catching up to me, so I ended up... (laughs) having a corrective surgery on my left arm because I had some nerve damage that 
by this year is now like 10 years old and needed to be corrected because I couldn't extend my arm all the way. So I got that done. I made sure that I didn't have any like long-lasting concussion issues, which thankfully I didn't. So I would say as long as my body can hold up, I still have fun and I don't have to negotiate or lose money to be away from my family or be in a shady environment. If it, okay. if it's still there, I'd I'd do it no doubt. Right on. That's all, like I I don't even do anything physical. My body just can't even fathom the oh, thought man, of it's... wrestling. That sounds. Like, hats off to you because that's thank you. We're we're really too hard. we're too young to feel this old. Let's be honest, dude. You know, it's funny too because people say like, oh, when you're thirty, and it's like, no, dude, this shit started when I was like twenty seven. Like, yeah, you have no real. idea. Fuck. Like, yeah, dude, you for sure. Like you. <laughs> you purposefully like put your body in harm's way. Like yes. I can't imagine the Man. level of anguish if or I the could, amount of Tylenol you must take on a regular basis. If I could just have my drive back from college where I could go on three hours of sleep, if that, and just have Jack 3D pre-workout again, I, I'd yep. be fine. But that's illegal now, so now I just beg for as much sleep as possible. That's a good way. Yeah, that's. I think that's growing up. I think that's maturity. <laughs> yes, sir. I think it is. And man, I, this has been a fun hour right here. Like it's it's flown by so quick. And Seriously, man. I can't thank you enough for being a guest on here and kicking season two off the right way. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yes, sir. It was. And man, the lightning round that was fun for me too. So I can't wait to bring that back again. Yes. But, Alex, is there anything else that you want to plug before uh, before we wrap it up here? I'm going to have links to your social media and your website in the show notes, but anything you want to get out to the world? Gosh, I mean, just, yeah, uh, find me on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever. Just connect and say hi. I'm always, I never have, I've never reached the capacity for friends. So, uh, you know, find me there. If you need a voice for anything, let me know. If you need someone to design some instructionally sound content for your company, sure, that that works too. Mainly just reach out and say hi. Absolutely, and I can't recommend that enough. But guys, this has been an awesome interview for me. Again, I got a chance to not only bring a conversation to you guys, but I got a chance to learn something new about my friends and figure out how much of our stories actually mirrored each other, which has stopped being weird and just started being awesome for me. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. I'm forever grateful that you guys have gotten us through a half a year already and that we're already on the way to, we're in season two now, we're on our way to season three, four, and wherever this may go, I've got a couple other podcasts that are going to be coming out under different genres, so stay tuned for those as well. And... Guys, again, I can't stress it enough. Like Alex said, find him on social media and say hi. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Go like us there. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It costs nothing to share or leave a review, so tell your friends. Tell me what you're liking about the show. Tell me if you're liking the new format of Season 2. Just let me know if there's somebody you want to hear on the show or if there's a topic you want me to, you know, want me to cover one-on-one. Let me know and we'll make it happen. Alex, I want to thank you again for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. And, guys, I want to thank you all again for checking us out this week. I want to thank our sponsors for keeping this show going. And we're going to be back again next week with another awesome episode. And I can't wait to bring it to you. So, in the meantime... 
If you haven't got caught up yet, go back in the archives and listen to all of our awesome guests in Season 1. Make sure you're doing some good in the world and being there for your friends and family. And check us out next week. I know you hear me. Howdy, folks. This is Willard Wingnut. And I'm sure we've all heard the same expression. A woman works from sun till sun. But a voiceover works from noon till one. And I thought, hey, I want to be one of them. So I decided to get some lessons in voice acting. And of course, what I did was looked up the best voiceover coach I could possibly find, which was Alicia Bowman. So basically, this is what I sounded like six months ago. But today, I sound like this. I begin every sentence with, in a world. In a world where there were a million mediocre voiceover coaches. Where they were like lukewarm roller dogs at 7-Eleven. There was one that stood out head and shoulders above the rest. The one and only Elise Bowman. And she can coach you too. Go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. And you can become a voiceover too. Now back to my regular voice. That's right. She's like magic. So check her out. And if you have half as much fun as she does, well, she'll have twice as much fun as you.